dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. In today's bonus episode, we'll discuss the new Emma movie, plus our favorite Austin adaptations. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Sarah. How are you today? I'm great. I just saw Emma yesterday, and I can't wait to talk about this movie. Yes, I saw it a couple nights ago, and I've been thinking about it a lot since we have so much to talk about. I can't wait. I think I'm super glad that we read Emma shortly before seeing the movie because it was so nice to just have such a refresher. I didn't have to wonder about what was coming next. I was just able to notice small details, and I really enjoyed that experience. I agree. It was so fun to be able to compare them in my mind as I was watching and just really settle in and enjoy the characters and the depth that the new movie gave to them. So I think we should just start by talking about some of the things that we absolutely loved. What were some of your favorite parts or moments or characters? What did you like about the new adaptation? Well, before we even get into specific moments, I think one of the things I loved most was just the overall look of the film. It is stunning. It's so colorful, so bright. It's just a world I want to live in. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's like modern millennial Barbie dream house, but for grown-ups. Yes, and I really loved how opulent it all was. And I've read a couple interviews with the director, Autumn DeWild, and she had said that in many Austin adaptations or just period pieces in general, the sets already look old because that's how a modern audience expects them to look. But for people living in Regency England, their homes would have looked sparkling and shiny and new and colorful. And so that's the feel she wanted to give her film. That's so true. And I think it's so perfect to go with that for Emma, who herself is sparkling and fresh. Yeah, I agree. I think we talked in our Emma episode about how Emma is the most unusual Austin heroine because she is wealthy and privileged and glamorous and she lives a very opulent life. And I'm really glad that this new film had fun with that and reveled in it. Her outfits were so pretty and it it was very much, well, so I saw one, it must have been a tweet, it was something snarky that was like, the 2020 Emma adaptation is the new version of Clueless. Like, Emma, the adaptation of the 1995 Clueless or whatever. <laughs> and it's, I can totally see where they were coming from because it's just like with Cher picking out her outfits every morning, you just want to know what's she going to wear next in the next scene. And I felt that way with Emma where I was like, what's her bonnet going to look like? <laughs> Yes, I've never had that experience in another Austin <laughs> film. Yeah, I I think that's true, and I can see how someone would say that in a snarky way, but I actually loved how the new film seemed not only to be an adaptation of the book, but in conversation with all of the other Austin adaptations, including Clueless, and including, I think, some adaptations of other Austin books. 
Yeah, I would agree. I think there were a lot of really subtly sexy moments that you notice more from the Pride and Prejudice Keira Knightley adaptation. Yes, some walking romantically through fields. Yes, and <laughs> I'm, I'm here for all of that. Yes. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things that just initially endeared me to this film was the fact that it opened with the opening lines of yes. Emma. It opened with Austin's words and then just a real quick flash, Emma's waking up. And I loved the introduction to the movie. Yeah, I agree. I think that opening with that first line from the novel really shows that this film gets it. It knows what it's about. I think too, I love, this is so tiny, but I love how the film is titled Emma, period. And I'm sure that's to make it more easily searchable online because there are so many <laughs> Emmas. But I also just like that aesthetic. Like we talked about, this is the only Austin book where the heroine is the, also the title. And so I love that. It's just Emma, period. Like this is all about her. And it really is. So true. One thing that I was really worried about going into the movie was that I was super unsure about Johnny Flynn as Mr. Knightley. So I've only seen Johnny Flynn in like immature dude roles where he's trying to figure out his life and he's kind of wild. And I was really skeptical of him, but he won me over immediately. I agree. I don't know that I've seen him in anything or if I have, his face hasn't really stuck with me. That's actually how I felt about most of the cast, which is another thing I enjoyed. But I was worried because like any iconic role, I already have an idea of who Mr. Knightley is in my mind and something about his look didn't fit that initially. But I agree. He immediately won me over when he came into the house the first time and the way he looked at Emma with just such impatience and frustration and longing it was perfect absolutely and he did he just did such a good job and I think that he brought a little bit of the fun of Knightley out into the role which I do think is evident in the book he is not stuffy the way that we think of a lot of you know Austin heroes who are you know very tied up more Mr. Darcy sort of like yes bottled up guys Mr. Knightley is really amiable and he's fun. He rides on horseback everywhere. He refuses to go in a carriage. That says a lot about his character and they really highlighted that in the movie. Yeah, I loved that too. And I think the physicality of the whole movie really added to the humor and charm of it. Yeah, and they had great chemistry together, which always helps. And so he he won me over. That was the thing I was most concerned about going into the movie is... I was like, this looks beautiful. I, that totally looks like Emma to me, but that did not fit Mr. Knightley in my head. He still doesn't. When I read Emma, I'm not going to picture him as Mr. Knightley. That's still not not what I imagined, but he was just so good. He was so good. So you mentioned this already, but did you like Anya Taylor-Joy as Emma? I did. I thought she did such a fantastic job. She's a great actress. I haven't seen her in anything else. Me neither. But I thought she was perfect. Yeah, and I think she's sort of an up-and-comer, similar to how Gwyneth Paltrow was when she did the Emma adaptation. And 
I really thought that she did a great job of bringing in more of the subtleties of Emma's character. She was sharp and sassy, but her facial expressions did such a great job of conveying depth of Emma. Yes, I completely agree. I think that a lot of adaptations in order to counteract or at least to balance out some of Emma's bossiness and snark also make her really sweet. And she wasn't necessarily sweet in this, but she was charming. You couldn't take your eyes off her when she was on the screen. And it was clear that all of the characters were reacting to her that way as well. And I really appreciated that because she was still very likable, but they didn't try to round out some of those jagged edges of her character the way other films have done. Exactly. And I think that that's what a lot of Austin adaptations do is they do go for the sweet and the romantic. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with being soft and sweet. But I just don't think that's Jane. That's just not Jane Austen to me. And I think especially if you read her letters or you read how sassy her books are, there's just that sharp wit that I think gets lost in the really soft and sweet adaptations that we see so often that really romanticize the time period. And this one was so quick. It, the transitions were quick. The I think the dialogue was a little bit quicker and snappier. And it just highlighted that side of Austen that Janeites really get but maybe not everyone associates with her. Yes, that is probably the the thing I loved the most about this film, in addition to the visual beauty, was the tone. I laughed so hard and so much in this movie, and I can't remember another Austin adaptation that made me laugh out loud in this way at all. Like, especially in a theater. I went and saw it, there were probably five or six people in the tiny theater I went to and everyone was laughing the whole time. It was delightful. I agree. It was so fun. Do you remember any specific moments where you really laughed out loud? I'll have to think about specific moments. I know overall one pattern that really got me was the way she used the servants throughout the whole film. That is something that's often missing from Austin adaptations or, I mean, they're missing in Austin's books as well, to be fair. We don't see servant characters, even though we know that these homes would have been run by a multitude of help. So I loved how she included a ton of servants. They were always there. They were watching every scene, even the most intimate moments. The servants were standing by and she moved them around the set in really interesting ways. Autumn DeWilde has directed music videos primarily before this film, and you could really tell that because of the choreography, the way the servants were always synchronized. I I loved that. I think a lot of the servant movement revolved around Mr. Woodhouse, who always got laughs in the, in the theater. And at first, I mean, he like hops off the stairs and I'm like, he's too spry. What's going on with <laughs> Mr. Woodhouse? But again, he completely charmed me and I ended up smitten with his character and he wasn't so crotchety as just, I don't know, he just struck a really interesting balance with that character. I loved all of the food in the movie because it really showed the opulence, but I also loved the way 
Bill Nye as Mr. Woodhouse was always looking at the food, like in this very terrified, but also kind of jealous way. It was amazing. I loved the moment when they're at the Christmas party and it starts to snow and he just shoots up from the table and says, we're going home and everyone just flutters around. There's no argument. It's just everybody knows when he's like this, you just have to go with it and they just leave and it absolutely cracked me up. Yeah, I loved that. That's a really good example of one of the changes that heightens the actual point of the book. Like in the book, that's a much slower scene. There are long discussions about who will take which carriage and whether they should leave now or wait. But the point is that everything's revolving around Mr. Woodhouse and his strange opinions and moods. And the film changed that to make it really quick. And for us as a modern audience, I think it had the same effect. It was just hilarious. Yeah, we didn't need to know how much snow was going to fall in order to understand that this was about character, not actually an emergency. That also reminds me, of course, of the Elton proposal in the carriage (laughs) on the way home from the Christmas party, which I also thought was hysterical. And I thought Elton as a character overall was hilarious. He was fabulous. And I did you watch the most recent season of The Crown at all? Not yet. Is he in it? He is Prince Charles. Oh, I love that. So that was interesting. That was the only thing I had seen him in. These were a lot of young up-and-coming actors, but I did recognize a few of them from the Netflix show Sex Education, from The Crown, just from various British things. But For the most part, even though I recognize them, I haven't seen them in very many things. A lot of new people and new faces, which I think you said before is one of your favorite things. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I do really appreciate that for book characters who I know and love. It's hard to see an actor who I know from somewhere else or just really strongly associate with another character in that role. So this isn't the best example because... Little Women isn't a book I adore, but seeing Emma Watson in Little Women, that was the only character in that for me that I was like, I don't, I can't really settle into you as Meg. And so I'm glad that this movie really cast a lot of up and coming actors who were phenomenal, but it really let me just see them as the Emma characters. That's a good point. I'm trying to think of some other actors who I thought just really did a fantastic job. I really enjoyed Mr. Weston, who is a character that I really don't care about in the book or most film adaptations, but he was so jovial and he and his wife had this way about them that they just knew what was going on and they were just sort of the, you know, there's always that married couple who likes to play matchmaker or ends up leading the group a little bit more and they played that so well and it was just adorable. I really fell in love with them in a way that I never usually do. I agree. I thought the Westons were great. I thought the woman who played Miss Bates was phenomenal. She was so good. Hilarious. She was so funny. She was so funny because as previously mentioned on our Emma episode, I often skip the Miss Bates sections of the book 
And I think in films, she's usually cast as a character you want to ignore or overlook. And in this one, I could see why she was annoying to Emma, but she was hysterical. And then when Emma hurts her feelings and the way her face looks, I mean, there was a audible, oh, in the theater when I saw it. And I've never heard those kinds of reactions in an Austin film. It's so true. The emotional notes were just stronger. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. I think the right things were highlighted at the right time. The actors did such a good job. With Miss Bates, typically we do get her cast and she her ridiculousness is highlighted, but somehow her sweetness and care was there enough that we were endeared to her so that it did truly hurt when Emma was so rude. And then... It also made me feel worse for Emma because who hasn't regretted something that they've said at some point? Totally. I thought that whole Box Hill scene was perfect. It was so beautifully done. I I do have one tiny issue with it, but we'll save that for when we talk about some of the things that we wish were tweaked. Another emotional note that this film got that some others are missing is Harriet's devastation and anger at Emma. I loved seeing that anger towards the end of the movie. Me too. And overall, I just believed their friendship more. Yes, absolutely. Probably because Harriet had more agency and emotion than in other adaptations. And I think that we saw Emma's care for her as a girlhood friend more than just a mentor role in this movie somehow it just came across more that way to me and it was really sweet they're they're warm hugs even we don't really see a lot of touching or hugs or anything like that in austin adaptations but were people really not hugging back then of course they were (laughs) of course they were (laughs) of course i love the scene where they're practicing their dancing before the ball like Yes, that it's so, so cute. sweet. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, it just makes their friendship seem more real and more believable and something that I'm rooting for. Whereas she's often portrayed as just a side character who furthers the plot and furthers Emma's growth. And this one, her own growth mattered a lot. In one of the ending scenes, when Harriet comes to Emma and she says, I'm marrying Mr. Martin and this is who my father is you can tell that Harriet is so nervous because she knows that Emma is not going to want to hang out with her anymore and then when Emma says you must invite him and they hug I my heart swelled even more than the nightly confessing his love scene oh me too I loved that so much it was it was just perfect. I I loved seeing Harriet speak her mind, but then also really obviously still want Emma's friendship and affection. And yes, when Emma drops her snobbery and says that Harriet and her family have to come for dinner. Oh, I just love that. It was so cute. I will say one more stylistic thing that I really liked was the way that they used the seasonal, almost like cue cards in between certain transitions. I liked that too. 
I loved that. The book does go through every season, and it's not something I usually notice, but the film did such a good job. And then, of course, I was every time that it came up, like, spring, I was like, oh, costume changes. <laughs> <laughs> the costumes. I just can't get over the costumes. You know how some movies and TV shows get those, like, touring exhibits, like the <gasps> Downton Abbey costumes? Yes, please. I need these costumes to go on tour. So true. And I mean, I do love, I love visuals. I love costumes. I loved the, for example, Little Women. I was so excited about the costumes, but I don't know if I ever get this excited about, oh, what's the character going to wear in this scene as I did with this movie. I agree. And I liked that that was built in, in interesting ways too, where they were often shopping for ribbons or there were scenes where Emma was getting a new dress or coat tailored. I thought that was great. Or even to go back to what I loved about the humor and the servants, the scenes where the characters would be slumped in chairs and their servants would be like taking their stockings off for them or buttoning them up. And it was hilarious and also just drew your attention to the little costume details that the film did so well. It made the time period feel so much more tangible. Let's just, I think one last favorite thing to talk about or one last happy thing before we get to some of the more critique content here was the wedding scene at the very end. I don't usually care about a wedding at the end of a movie. I'm just not a big wedding person. But I was so happy that we got that, and it was so delightful. Yes, I agree. And Jane Austen doesn't usually write about her characters' weddings, and so often I get frustrated when movies put that in because I think Austen intentionally leaves those moments out. But this one, I just, I had to see what Emma wore to her wedding, first of all. Exactly! And it was just so fun to see all of the characters gathered because it is such an ensemble piece, even though it's all about Emma, that I like seeing them all together at the end. Yes, I. that's probably why I loved it so much. And then Mr. Woodhouse's expression when he gave her away was, it said everything about their relationship. And then Knightley teared up a little bit And then I felt like I was going to tear up. And (laughs) I was like, who am I? (laughs) It was lovely. Yes. Well, we have gushed about this movie. And I will say that overall, I just adored this and I can't wait to see it again. But as always with any adaptation, I have some notes. (laughs) I have (laughs) some, some critiques. How about you, Chelsea? Was there anything you would have liked to see done differently? I really only have one broad sweeping critique. Like you said, overall, absolutely loved the movie. Thoroughly enjoyed this adaptation. We'll watch it over and over again. But I just don't think that we needed another Austin adaptation full of all white people. I just don't think we needed it. Yeah, especially with how fresh and modern the film felt. I think it easily could have included a diverse cast and still swept me away in the time period and the setting. And I I agree. 
Did you, I don't know what previews they showed at your movie theater, but they showed a preview for this Charles Dickens, um, David Copperfield adaptation coming up. I didn't see that before Emma, but I have seen that trailer with um, Dev Patel. Patel. Yes. Who, look, I have a major crush on him. I think he's so handsome. But aside from that, that looks so lush, so gorgeous, so fabulous, hilarious. And that includes a completely diverse cast. And no, it's not just a strict adaptation of David Copperfield, but it doesn't have to be. Right. These books that have been adapted over and over and over and that are considered universal stories ought to be adapted in more diverse and inclusive manners. Yeah, it's not just white people that read these books. No. And uh, the most recent PBS masterpiece, the Sanditon adaptation, that includes a black woman. I think that her character, there was something about her being from Jamaica or being raised in Jamaica. And so they took that in the adaptation. They said, okay, that's a perfect opportunity to have a character of color in this role. And Shonda Rhimes is doing an adaptation of the Bridgerton series, which is regency era romance and they have diverse casting just because it's a historical setting look it was not just white people in the regency era era running around (laughs) Right, right so that is my only critique i'm interested to hear some of your other notes because maybe i'll you know have noticed something or agree with those but overall my broad overarching critique of this and other literary adaptations is just that it's time that we we stop with this oh it has to be quote true to the book and there were only white characters in the book so we can only have white characters in the movie i'm just tired of that i agree it's frustrating to see it happen again and again my critique is minor comparatively i would have liked a little bit more of the jane fairfax frank churchill plot and I guess I should give a sort of spoiler warning here. I mean, this is one element of the book that we didn't discuss on our Emma episode because we think it's a fun thing to find out in the book and we didn't discuss it. So just take that for what what it is. But I did like the way they changed Jane Fairfax's character. She was kind of a, a brat and kind of mean and clearly saw Emma as an adversary just as much as Emma saw Jane as an adversary, which I don't think is true in the book, but I loved that change. But we didn't get to see any of the hints that maybe something weird is going on here between Jane and Frank. They took out a lot of the hints of that and the games that Frank played to deceive people, in particular deceive Emma and kind of win her over. When I alluded to there being one thing I didn't like about the Box Hill scene, I think that conversation between Frank and Jane that happens in the book at Box Hill, where Frank says he feels sorry for people who enter into engagements without really knowing the person, and Jane kind of snaps back at him that honorable men wouldn't do such things and whatnot. I like that scene, and I like those hints, and in the movie it was just like, oh, All of a sudden, Frank and Jane have been engaged this whole time. Didn't see that coming at all. I appreciate that by getting rid of some of those elements, the film could highlight the friendship with Harriet 
and Emma's relationship with Miss Taylor and her father a little bit more. So I get why they did it, but I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. That makes sense. I do think it made the surprise element perhaps stronger for people who haven't read the book or haven't seen any other adaptations. If this was the fir- their first experience with Emma, it probably could have been more surprising to them. I agree with you that I liked a sharper Jane. She wasn't, again, not soft and sweet, mm-hmm. like many adaptations show her to be. There was still that sort of air of mystery and attractiveness around her, but she was very quiet, not the most pleasant, and... I like that choice. I did too. I really liked that choice. She had a backbone and I liked seeing that. Definitely. Yeah, Frank Churchill, I mean, I thought that the scenes with him flirting with Emma conveyed his, you know, nefariousness, but you're right. Then they come out and they say, oh, he deceived us all and he was so wicked. And it was like, was he really though? Because he didn't really do that much to all of you. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I I get why they did that. And I liked the elements that it allowed them to focus on. But I think that that's one of the things that I really love in this book is getting to that reveal and thinking, oh my gosh, all of the clues were there all along and I just didn't pick up on them. And there weren't clues in this. And of course, the narration of the book allows for that to happen. And in a movie, you can't do the same thing. So as you said, movie viewers would pick up on all of those details and then not necessarily be surprised by that secret engagement. So maybe they were just trying to emphasize the surprise element, which makes sense. Right after I saw Emma yesterday, I came home and last night I watched Clueless right away. I am so jealous because I've been wanting to watch it. (laughs) I had to because I just really wanted to have the experience of watching them one right after the other. And also it just was really sticking in my mind that they were such similar adaptations of the book. Mm -hmm. And it was was fun to watch Clueless. It's definitely... very dated compared to the last time that I watched it, which was, you know, maybe 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet. I'd be curious to see how it holds up. But I do think that Clueless is one of my favorite Austin adaptations. I love how creative it is. I was completely impressed with the way that it was adapted for modern audiences and still stayed so true to the book and to the characters. And having just read it and having just seen it, it allowed me to view Clueless not as, you know, a rom-com the way I've watched it in the past, but truly an Austin adaptation. And it was a lot of fun. And Paul Rudd might be my favorite nightly. He's a really good nightly. I Okay, I have to watch that later tonight. <laughs> what are some of your other favorite Austin adaptations? I'm always really in favor of the BBC adaptations. I think they do such a good job. And I also just think a mini series allows so much breathing room to include so many details from the book. If I'm looking for like a really true to the book adaptation, I do love the BBC ones every time. I love the Emma version with Romola Garay, Johnny Lee Miller, who's also fantastic nightly. He's so good. I love that version. 
I think I've only seen the Gwyneth Paltrow version once and I'm like indifferent about it. Yeah, I know a lot of people really love that adaptation, but I think I've only seen it once as well and nothing about it really sticks in my memory. Maybe I'll watch it again at some point so I can have an informed opinion about it. But in terms of even her other novels, do you have any standout adaptations that you love? I really love the Emma Thompson Sense and Sensibility with Kate Winslet and Alan Rickman. It's so good. I love it so much. And Emma Thompson did the adapting. She wrote the screenplay and I think she did such a good job with it. I think it takes out all of the kind of excess that isn't necessary and really makes me fall in love with the sister relationship. I like Emma Thompson a lot. I have issues with the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice, even though I've watched it many times. I enjoy it. To me, it's kind of like Wuthering Heights meets Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like all of the mist and the moors and the romance and the confessions of love and the rain is so not Pride and Prejudice to me. It's a good movie, but it's not my favorite adaptation, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with you. The BBC one is far and away my favorite, Colin Firth forever. Yes. But I still like the Kira Knightley for what it is. Exactly. And you're completely right. It's it's not much of an Austin adaptation. It's very much Austin meets Bronte sisters for sure. Yes. I, of course, always show that version when I teach Pride and Prejudice because I can't justify the six hours of (laughs) the miniseries in class time. And it's funny how angry the students get about the scene in the rain with Darcy. I also hate the last two minutes of that movie. I usually stop it before it gets to the Mrs. Darcy scene. Yeah. (laughs) Not a big fan of that part. I really enjoyed Death Comes to Pemberley, or I like Austin Land. I like adaptations that take elements of Jane Austen or elements of her novels, but that aren't by-the-book adaptations. I agree. I really like both of those. Kind of Austin pastiche, like taking just little bits and making it into something new. I really enjoy. I haven't thought about my like definitive rankings of Austin adaptations, but I do think this new Emma will be quite high. I'm thinking it's probably like top three for me, along with the BBC Pride and Prejudice and Clueless. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. It's so good. Everyone should go see it. Yeah, it's it's really good. And of course, it'll be delightful when it's out on video or on streaming. But if you can, I do recommend seeing it in the theater because visually it's just absolutely stunning and you really get to immerse yourself in this bright, colorful, rich, opulent, gorgeous world. Yeah, good point. Definitely a good one to see in the theater. I love it so much. Me too. And it was so fun to talk about it with you, even though, of course, we didn't get to see it together. I know. Yeah, I'm really glad that we were at least able to do this. Maybe someday we'll be able to (laughs) go to the movie theater and pick up an adaptation together. I hope so. 
For more classic lit enthusiasm and podcast news, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Novel Pairings Pod. We'd love to know whether you pick up Emma or any of the books that we've mentioned in the podcast so far. So feel free to tag us on social media when you're talking about them. Tell your friends about Novel Pairings by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing our most recent episode on social media. We declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How soon one tires of anything than of a book. We'll be back soon with an episode on The Awakening by Kate Chopin.